Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 34 Robin Runs the Show Three more bodies had come in that afternoon. Two looked like natural causes, while the other one was clearly from a gunshot wound to the temple. The morgue seemed busier than ever. Even with Metz gone, his policies and training were still in place, and things ran fairly smooth. Robin finished up one of the natural cause cases, freeing her up to finally check the STR results from Oscar Woody's killer. She walked from the autopsy room to her desk in the admin area. She sighed and looked over at her pictures of Emma. It was almost seven o'clock. Robin wanted to get out of there, get back to her apartment, crawl into bed and have Emma curl up beside her. Sure, the dog would shed all over the bedspread and probably fart something horrible. But when it came to nap time, Emma was Little Miss Lights Out. Emma couldn't sleep on the empty side, of course. She had to lie right on top of Robin. But that was the point, really. Robin didn't have a man in her bed anymore. Emma's weight, her breathing, hell, even the farts in a weird way, they were comforting beyond anything Robin knew. She turned to her computer and called up the STR results. Yes, confirmed. The saliva sample found on Oscar Woody came from a human, as did the material taken from the hair follicles. Due to the signs of mauling, there had to be a large animal involved, but there was no longer any question that a human killer had left DNA on Oscar's body. The computer system had automatically submitted the STR test results to the CODIS system. That check didn't produce a match. Whoever the killer was, his DNA had never been entered into the FBI's database. But there was something strange about the sample. In addition to a genetic fingerprint, the test also indicated a person's sex by detecting a gene known as AML. AML is on the male and female sex chromosomes, but it isn't quite the same on both. Men have two sex chromosomes, X and Y, while women have two Xs. The STR test didn't show the actual chromosome. Only another test, known as a karyotype, could do that. But it did show spikes indicating the presence and relative number of AML genes on each sex chromosome. If the test only showed a spike for AML X, the subject was female. If it showed two equal spikes, one for Amyl X and one for Amyl Y. That meant the subject was male. This sample, however, showed Amyl X and Amyl Y spikes that were not equal. The X spike was twice as high as the Y spike. That suggested the presence of a second X, which would mean the killer could have three sex chromosomes. It wasn't a contaminated sample. She had run enough parallel tests to know for certain that the material came from just one killer. Robin felt a rush of excitement. Either the killer was XXY, or he had an even more rare condition she had yet to identify. She heard people approaching. She looked up to see Rich Verdi and Bobby Pigeon walking toward her desk. Bobby smiled at her. Rich just scowled. Good God, but Rich was a horrible dresser. Hudson, Verdi said. I'm here to talk to you about the Oscar Woody case. She felt a deep twinge of disappointment. I thought this case belonged to Brian Clouser and Pookie Chang. 
Verdi shook his head. Case is mine. Covered in piss, right? There was a question he didn't hear every day. She nodded. Mine, Verdi said. Normally Mets would handle a case like this. Well, I assure you I'm perfectly qualified to... Whatever, Rich said. This case will run a little different than maybe you're used to. Special deal. Call the chief right now. She's expecting to hear from you. Robin's eyebrows rose. Call Chief Zhao? That's right, Verdi said. And make it snappy. I got shit to do. Metz frequently talked to Chief Zhao. Robin was the temporary head of the department, so it made sense she'd be the one to answer any questions Zhao might have. Robin picked up the phone, then started scanning a list tacked to her cubicle wall to find the chief's extension. Verdi reached across her and dialed the phone for her. There you go, he said. She glared at him as she waited for someone to answer, like he couldn't have just told her the extension number. Chief Zhao's office. This is Robin Hudson from the Emmy Department, I was told. One moment, Dr. Hudson. The chief is expecting your call. Chief Zhao came on the line, her words as terse and clipped on the phone as they were in person. Dr. Hudson. Yes. Rich Verdi is in charge of the Oscar Woody case. Zhao said. This case is of particular interest to me. I do not want anything getting out to the media, understand? The medical examiner's office and the police department worked closely together, but Zhao was not Robin's boss. Robin tried to think of how Metz would handle the same situation. The Silver Eagle would be polite, but firm. Chief Zhao, you know we don't release anything to the media. And yet the media somehow gets information from many places, Zhao said. Dr. Hudson, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm asking. Please limit any access to information on Oscar Woody. Move his body to the private examination room, the one Dr. Metz uses. Access to any electronic records offer Inspector Verdi's eyes only. The mayor said you can call his office if you have any questions. Call the mayor? Well, that was a hint and a half. If you want the top spot, play ball. But was Chief Zhao really asking for anything unusual? Maybe there was a good reason for her secrecy. Covered in piss, Verdi had said. Robin again thought of Paul Maloney. Maybe her initial hunch was right and the two cases were related. A potential serial killer could be out there. Any leaked information might compromise finding that killer. Yes, Chief, Robin said. I'll use the private room and keep things quiet. Thank you for your time, Doctor. Chief Zhao hung up. A strange call. It nagged at Robin the way Zhao seemed to be dangling the potential chief medical examiner position as a reward for playing along. Or was it more of a threat of punishment that not playing along would cost Robin the job? Robin turned to Verdi. A told-you-so sneer twisted his mouth to the left. You know, Rich, she's not asking for anything crazy, so you don't have to be such a sanctimonious dick about this. When I want your opinion, I'll ask for it, Verdi said. Just do your job, file the report, and don't go blabbing about this case with your girlfriends at the water cooler. Come on, Bobby, let's go. Verdi turned to walk away. Bobby looked at him with confusion, the same confusion probably that Robin felt. Wait a minute, she said. I found some really interesting things that will help in the investigation. Don't you want to know what they are? It was an animal attack, Verdi said. I'll read your report. It wasn't just an animal attack. He sighed. <sighs> okay, fine. There were people involved who used the animal to kill the kid. Whatever. The death was due to mauling, and that's that. 
Sammy Burzon's preliminary crime scene report said there was dog fur all over the body. It wasn't dog fur, Robin said. The hair samples were human. Verdi's eyes narrowed. He seemed almost bothered by the information. It's some kind of animal, he said. Your results are wrong. What a pompous ass. And you know this because you got your medical degree where, exactly? You don't get to dismiss my results because you don't like what they say, Rich. Verdi threw up his hands in annoyance. The boy was attacked by a guy. A couple of guys, whatever. They beat him and sicked a fucking animal on him. The animal tore off the kid's arm. The kid died. Done deal. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and... It doesn't quack, she said. And it doesn't bark, either. All the DNA I recovered was definitely human. Robin had given case results to Rich many times before. He was always a bit of an asshole, but normally he seemed interested in every detail. Why didn't he care about the details now? I only have evidence of one assailant, Robin said. I have saliva and hair from a person, Rich. Can your little mind process that? Bobby was smiling, and not the way men did when they thought she was pretty. He seemed to be enjoying the fact that she pushed back. The veins in the sides of Rich's thinning temples throbbed and pulsed. They looked like they might pop at any moment. She'd lost her temper a little, but now she seemed to have Rich's full attention. He looked angry, calm but angry. So, he said, you're telling me this can't be an animal attack. Robin paused. She had genetic evidence of a human killer but the tooth marks were definitely from some kind of animal. There had to be some element of the animal on Oscar's body. She just hadn't found it yet. I'm sure an animal was involved, but what I'm telling you is I have specific evidence that can help you find the guy responsible for Oscar's death, she said. I found indicators of three chromosomes, two X's and a single Y. Three, Bobby said. He seemed to perk up at the first mention of genetics, you said it was one killer. Guys are XY. Wouldn't three chromosomes indicate a second killer? Verdi glared at Bobby. Bobby shrugged at him. Richo, seems like we need to know this stuff, don't you think? Verdi's jaw muscles twitched. He turned back to stare at Robin. Go ahead, Busy Bee. Tell me what you found. He looked angry before. Now he looked downright furious. If there was a second male assailant, I'd have found evidence of another Y chromosome, she said. Even if a second assailant was female, I'd have at least found evidence of a third X chromosome. That leads me to believe Oscar's killer is trisomal, which means he has three sex chromosomes instead of the normal two. If the assailant is XXY, he probably has a condition called Kleinfelter syndrome. Bobby nodded. He had the same look in his eyes she'd often seen in Brian. To guys like them, clues were crack cocaine that got their pulses racing. I've heard of Klamfelters, he said. But that's not the only possibility, right? I mean, couldn't two people have identical chromosomes, like twins? Not the identical kind, but fraternal twins. Robin smiled in surprise. For a layman, that was a brilliant question. It's possible the killers could have been male and female twins, she said. And technically, normal brothers with the same father have the same Y chromosome. However, I'm almost positive the samples show we're dealing with a single killer. I'll run a different kind of test to be sure. Ferdy's eyes narrowed. 
And what kind of test would this be? It's called a karyotype, Robin said. We need living cells for that, but the saliva on the body was only a few hours old, so we have plenty. A karyotype shows the total number of chromosomes in an organism. You, me, Bobby, pretty much every person you know has 46 chromosomes. That's normal. If the test shows the perp has 46, that means my extra X is from a second killer. But if the test shows an individual with 47 chromosomes, it means we have just one killer with a unique genetic disposition that will help you track him down. Bobby smiled. Sweet, he said. His gold tooth made him look like a pimp. Mets didn't run tests like that, Rich said. You shouldn't either. And we don't need that test. We've got some leads we can't talk about. She noticed Bobby suddenly look at Rich in surprise. If there were such leads, it was news to the younger of the two partners. Robin crossed her arms over her chest. Are you telling me you don't want more leads? If our guy has Kleinfelters, he could be confused about his gender or possibly express sexual deviation that's been recorded. You could look for mixed gender support groups or... Do your job, Verdi said. You get paid to look at stiffs. You don't get paid to solve cases. Leave the detective work to the detectives. Just do the basics. Bobby, let's go. Verdi stormed off. Bobby rolled his eyes and smiled apologetically before following Verdi out. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Robin spun slightly in her chair, watching them go. So strange. Why wouldn't Rich want to exhaust every angle to solve a horrific murder? Maybe that was the question she didn't need to ask. Verdi had the authority of Chief Amy Zhao behind him, and he was right about one thing. Solving crimes wasn't her job. So, maybe Rich had her there. But on the other hand, he wasn't her boss. Neither was Chief Zhao. They could make suggestions but they couldn't tell her what tests not to run. Robin could use the new RAPSCAN machine to run the karyotype. All she had to do was load DNA samples into the machine's cartridges, which took about 15 minutes. From there, the whole process was automated. It only took a few hours to complete. She'd start the test now, then pack up the work she could finish at home and get out of there. When she came back in the morning, the karyotype results would be waiting for her. Chapter 35 The Artist and His Subject Rex drew. He was a good drawer. He knew that. Mrs. Evans, his art teacher at Galileo, she said he had potential. No one ever said that to him about anything. Not since his dad had died, anyway. Mrs. Evans was okay, but he had to hide his best drawings from her. The ones with the guns, the knives, the chainsaws, the ropes, things like that. She'd seen some of those drawings and pretty much flipped out, so Rex just kept them to himself. He also now knew he couldn't let other kids see his pictures. Not ever, 
or Boyko might hurt him even worse than before. But if they did come after him again, Oscar Woody wouldn't be with them, because Oscar Woody was dead. Rex had made so many drawings. He'd even drawn one of the strange faces he saw in his dreams. That one had gone up on the walls with all the others, labeled with a name that he heard most often during those visions. Sly. Rex drew. His pencil outlined the oval of a head, then the shapes of eyes, the contours of a nose. Quietly he worked away, adding lines and shading. Gradually the face became recognizable. The sound of the pencil on paper picked up speed. A body took form. So did a chainsaw. So did splashes of blood. Rex felt warm. His chest tingled inside. Erase that part of the nose. Redraw. Adjust the corners of the mouth. Coax the lines and shapes and shades into expressions of agony. Of terror. He felt his own heartbeat pulsing in his neck, bouncing through his eyes and forehead. Erase the bicep. Darken that line. The chainsaw had just passed through the arm, severing it in a splatter of blood. Rex felt himself stiffen in his pants. He moaned a little as he erased the eyes. They weren't quite right. Make them wider. Make them full of fear. Fear of Rex. He had drawn Oscar Woody, concentrated on Oscar Woody, and now Oscar Woody was dead. Maybe it hadn't been coincidence. And maybe Rex could make it happen again. The new face? Jay Perlar, the boy who had put the pieces of wood under Rex's wrist and elbow. Rex drew. Chapter 36 Big Max Home at last. Robin juggled a stack of mail and a bag of last-minute groceries. Dog treats, dog food, milk, a bottle of Malbec and some Twinkies, as she struggled to find her apartment key on an overfull keychain. Quite honestly, she didn't know what half the keys were for. They probably opened old mailboxes, storage lockers, gym padlocks, etc. She could never bring herself to throw any of them out, because she knew as soon as she tossed one, she'd wind up needing it the next day, and would be summarily screwed. A door opened just down the hall. A gigantic man stepped out, and stood still while sixty-five pounds of whining, white-and-black whirlwind shot past him into the hallway, ears flapping and claws digging into carpet. Emma jumped up, almost knocking Robin over. Groceries spilled on the floor. Robin grabbed for the milk, but the plastic quart container bounced on the carpet without breaking and rolled to a stop. Robin cupped her hands around Emma's floppy ears and dug her fingers in just enough to shake the dog's head. Wild-eyed, Emma's tongue lolled. Her body seemed to want to go in five directions at once. Baby girl, I missed you, Robin said. She pushed the dog away, then knelt to pick up the groceries. A strategic mistake. Emma jumped again to kiss Robin's face. The dog's paws hit Robin's shoulders, knocking the kneeling woman on her behind. Emma's feet pranced as she launched rapid-fire kisses on Robin's face. Easy, girl, Robin said laughing at the dog's desperate intensity. Suddenly, Emma's weight was gone. Robin looked up to see Big Max holding the 65-pound dog in his left arm. Big hand scooped under Emma's butt, her head at his shoulder. Emma's tail thumped against Max's leg. Goodness gracious, girl, Max said. That dog just kicked your ass. Robin nodded. She put the groceries back in the bag and gathered up the scattered mail.
Thanks, Max. Thanks for everything. Don't worry about it, honey. I'll watch this little thing any old day. Emma just sat there, totally comfortable and relaxed, cradled in Max's huge arm. Huge wasn't really the word for his arms. Gigantic might be more appropriate. Max looked like an effeminate version of a roided-out professional wrestler. Big arms, thick legs, huge barrel chest, which was waxed, of course. The head on top of his beer keg of a neck sported deep laugh lines. A blonde goatee formed a dainty point, and the same color hair sat on his forehead in a moussed swirl. One glance told you Max was gay, and that was always somewhat of a bitter feeling. The man was a grade-A hunk. He made for a very interesting neighbor, dog lover, well-versed on local politics, worked nights as a bouncer, and was trying to break into erotic films. Not a run-of-the-mill guy by any stretch of the imagination. That was Robin's best friend, a gorgeous, badass, gay porn star to be. Hey, Robin said, how did your audition go at kink.com? Max smiled. Pretty good, he said. Were you asking because you're a polite sweetheart, or do you want to know the gory details of my shoot? Robin laughed and blushed. <laughs> the former. Not sure I could handle the details. Ah, you modest Canadian girls. A second dog came out of Max's apartment. This one made Emma look tiny. Ninety pounds of pit bull with gray fur, white feet, and the sweetest face you could ever see. Without missing a beat, Max reached down with his right arm and scooped up the pit bull. He cradled 155 pounds of dog like a couple of feather pillows. Hello there, Billy, Robin said. She gave the pit bull a kiss on the nose. Billy's thick tail swirled in an uncoordinated circle. Max leaned toward her, breaking the three-foot cushion. His eyes narrowed as he stared at a spot just below Robin's eyes. Honey, look at those circles. That job is going to be the death of you. Robin put the mail in the grocery bag. Why she hadn't done that to start with, she had no idea, and finally found her apartment key. She opened the door and walked into her entryway. Max followed her in still carrying the dogs. Tell me about it, she said. You should have seen the poor kid they brought in today. Bad. Beyond bad. Robin set the bag down on her dining room table. His arm was... Wait, are you asking because you're a polite sweetheart? Or because you want the gory details? Because these details are actually gory. Max set both dogs down, then waved his hands palm out. Oh, I'm just being polite. I like to watch CSI because it's fake, but your stories make my balls head for high water. Is the case important? It is to me. Max smiled, a left corner of the mouth curling up thing that Robin could only hope they put on the covers of his posters or web pages or whatever they use to advertise porn. I see, he said. And would Mr. I Dress in All Black be involved? Robin felt her face flush. I didn't say that. You didn't have to. I can see it in your eyes. Maybe you should invite him over to discuss the case. You haven't been laid since he moved out. Max, that's none of your business. And how do you know I haven't been laid? Maybe I'm a regular trollop. Max reached up a big fist, wrapped his knuckles against the wall that separated their two apartments. These things are pretty thin. I'd know if you were knocking boots. I certainly knew every time that you and Brian were, shall we say, discussing a case. 
A swirl of thoughts stopped Robin cold. Embarrassment at Max having hurt her with Brian. Memories of Brian making love to her. Echoes of the happiness they shared in this very apartment. Still fresh memories of their arguments. Of her yelling at Brian while he just stared back. Infuriatingly calm and maddeningly distant. The yelling. Max had to have heard as well. The man in black and I are finished, Robin said. And I'm too busy to worry about sex right now. The big man shrugged. My mom told me there's two things you should never be too busy to do. Pay taxes and vacuum the carpet? No, Max said. You're never too busy to pet a puppy and never too busy to make love. Your mom told you that? He nodded. Sure. Before I came out, I mean. Now she focuses mostly on the puppy part. Look, there's nothing wrong with getting a booty call from an ex. You should have Brian go old school 50s movies on you. You know, shake you around a bit, maybe a little slap or two, then the ravaging. Robin rolled her eyes. He's not like that, Max. He's a softy. Max laughed and shook his head. Honey, Brian may be a gentleman, but he's no softy. He has a mean streak in him a mile wide. Brian was standoffish, sure, but mean? Nobody besides her, and maybe Pookie, seemed to know the real man. Or maybe everyone did know him, and it was Robin who was clueless. You've only met Brian a couple of times, she said. How can you tell that about him? It's my job to tell. I'm a bouncer, remember? Your little Johnny Cash is not someone I'd want to meet in a back alley. You outweigh him by at least 50 pounds, Max. Size isn't everything. Outside of porn, I mean. I like my teeth right where they are, so I've learned to watch out for guys like Brian. What a ridiculous concept. Max was so, well, big. Brian was lean and strong, sure. But was he mean enough to take on a bruiser like Max? It didn't matter. She didn't want to think about Brian Clouser anymore. Thanks for watching Emma Maxie. I owe you dinner. Seven, he said. Seven what? Seven dinners. That's only for the past three months. Seven? Really? Max nodded. I don't mean to tell you how to run your life, honey, but Emma is starting to like me more than she likes you. Oh, no, she is not. Max smiled, then walked toward the door. Emma trotted along after him. Emma, where are you going? Emma stopped and looked at Robin, then looked back at Max. Max shrugged at Emma. Don't worry, Boo-Boo, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon. He shut the door behind him. Emma stared at the door, then let out a little whine. Robin clapped her hands once to get the dog's attention. Emma, baby, do you want treats? The dog came running. Maybe Brian Clauser didn't love Robin, but Emma sure did. And if Robin had to buy that love with dog treats, that was just fine. A treat, maybe two, or three, or four, and then it was time for bed. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.